Gift Biz Unwrapped, guest episode number 407. They just thought it was so fascinating. They're like, how did you get into tea? Because I didn't grow up as a tea drinker. I've been drinking coffee since I was four. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and you know I always love when you join me for the podcast. So thanks for showing up today. How's the first month of the year treating you? I've already got one trade show for the year under my belt. That was for the Ribbon Print Company. And last week, we celebrated here National Bakers Crafters Makers Day. If you missed it, don't worry. All the goodies are still available to you. Just listen to the very last podcast episode, number 406, to hear all about it. For today's show, I am super excited to introduce you to Jenny. You may not know her already, but you might be familiar with her book and related extensions. The book is titled The Essence of Tea and spins from her business, Sipping Streams. You'll hear all about this in a minute. The way she got into her business is fascinating. Not a traditional path by any means. As you listen to her story, notice how she encounters decision points along the way and leaps into the opportunities that present themselves. Scary? Yes, by her own admission. But also exciting, and with each win, she gains more and more confidence in herself. She says she tests herself by entering into situations to, quote-unquote, make myself the most uncomfortable possible. Along the way, she hits cultural obstacles and an identity crisis. She loses her job, travels to a foreign land in pursuit of her dream, all without the support of her family. And that's, of course, not where the story ends. You'll also hear why she quadrupled her tea prices and one very opportunistic way she built recognition of herself and her brand. There's even more, but without making this too long, let's let Jenny take it away. Today, I am so looking forward to bringing you this conversation with Jenny Jia. Born in Hong Kong and raised in Fairbanks, Alaska, Jenny is the founder and owner of Sipping Streams Tea Company. She's a certified tea specialist and her expertise shows. Sipping Streams has won first, second, and third at the North American Tea Championships and second at the Global Tea Championships. Sipping Streams has been featured in Fresh Cup Magazine, Edible Alaska, and NPR. Jenny is the best-selling author of The Essence of Tea and the host of The Essence of Tea podcast. And that's not all. This past summer, Sipping Streams Tea Company started an experimental tea farm in Alaska using geothermal heat. We are going to be talking with a woman who is ahead of the game with everything tea. Jenny, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you, Sue. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to dive into your story because you are a maker with lots of different avenues spinning off of the things you do. And I'm really excited to share that with everybody. But before we do this, I have a special tradition here on the show, and that is to have you share with us what a motivational candle would look like that would really resonate with you. So what would that be for you by a color and a saying or a quote? So my motivational candle is really probably very, I don't know, I guess it's very descriptive of the candle. So one of my favorite quotes is by Shane Claiborne, and it says, we are to be the fire to weave our lives together so that the spirit's inferno of love spreads across the earth. And it's really kind of my mission of my company and how it became because my background is not a maker. Well, I mean, I always was a hobbyist since I was a kid and did arts and crafts and sold at the farmer's market and things like that. But my professional background is actually in the medical field and education space. 
So becoming an entrepreneur, especially a product-based entrepreneur, had to come from deep within like who I am more than wanting to make something because it was fun especially for how long I've been in business and what my business has had to survive through in the last 16 years. It's definitely the mission and the purpose of what I do that keeps me motivated through all the ups and downs. And do you have a color for your candle just so we can complete the vision? Oh, of course. It'd be green, like for tea. (laughs) Of course. Well, there you go. If you asked me to guess, I would have said that. And, you know, honestly, as we continue and hear your story, because I did take a little peek at your website before we got started, I'd say that your medical and educational backgrounds also are being tapped into with what you're doing today. So that's a great example of having a degree or things like that that are outside of what you're doing as a maker, but you can spin off that knowledge to really enhance what you're doing with a quote unquote maker company. But let's start with. Where did your love of tea come from in the very beginning? Okay, so in my book, The Essence of Tea, so many people had asked me to write a biography about my life because they just thought it was so fascinating. They're like, how did you get into tea? Because I didn't grow up as a tea drinker. I've been drinking coffee since I was four. I actually like the taste of black coffee. Like I drink straight up black coffee. It's not that I don't drink coffee. Like I have nothing against coffee, but I literally do not sell any coffee products at all. Not even my brick and mortar. We don't even serve cups of coffee, not even plain black coffee. So my love of tea really came out of my journey, just like a lot of other people who start getting interested in tea and don't know anything about tea, just like me. Okay. Just because I'm born in Hong Kong, and I am like an immigrant doesn't mean I grew up as a tea drinker. (laughs) But with my medical background, a lot of people in college thought I was a tea drinker, even though I didn't drink college until my last year. And so when I started drinking tea, because it was the cheapest thing at the coffee shop menu, because I had all these loans I had to pay back. And my drink was $5.28 a day, like $5.28 a day. You remember that exact amount even now. (laughs) Yeah, it was a quad venti soy inverted caramel macchiato at 140 degrees. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it was my daily drink and I was like, what am I doing? Like wasting all this money. Like I'm going to be done with school soon. I'm going to have to pay back these loans and I better just start drinking the cheapest thing on the menu, which is tea. So when I started drinking tea, people thought I was a tea drinker. Like people would walk up and be like, oh, I heard you're an athletic trainer oh, is that like really good for you? I heard tea cures cancer and all these other things that I had no idea people assumed because I wasn't a tea drinker, right? Like we would have tea growing up, having meals or dim sum or someone's house, but it wasn't like I knew anything about tea at all. I didn't even know anything about the culture of tea and what people were interested in tea. I had no interest in tea other than it was a cheap beverage. So all these questions started coming up And I would go and study about whatever medical case studies there were for different homework assignments. And I would actually come across case studies about tea. And so being a double major in college, I was also studying physical education K through 12. So the teacher in me wanted to like regurgitate everything that I had learned. Well, actually in this case study, so I would just share with my friends what I had learned because our professors really pushed us to think about like what kind of myths are out there in the general public and why do people think the way that they do because it really affects the way that they heal and the way they look at health and wellness. And so since my university's professors were all in line with that type of viewpoint or perspective or mindset, it made me think like that. Why are people even interested in that? And it brought me into this tea journey. And when I did practice sports medicine back in Alaska in the physical therapy clinic, I would be doing people's rehab and people would say, oh, you drink tea too? And I was just drinking tea because I was just drinking tea. (laughs) 
But I was starting to learn more about tea and people would share with me their different life experiences, their personal stories with their aunts down in the South with sweet tea or, you know, there's all these stories that I started hearing about people saying, oh yeah, I used to drink tea with my grandma and she'd make it anytime I didn't feel good. It was always amazing because she'd put like half a cup of sugar in it or, you know, just interesting stories where I was starting to build relationships, like intimate relationships with my patients over conversations about tea. And that's when I was like, wow, all these people have stories about tea. And that made me reflect on my own life. Like, what kind of tea stories do I have? I mean, I'm Chinese. Like, do I have any stories about tea? Do I remember anyone really drinking tea? Anything that stuck out to me? And actually, that's when it started helping me heal with my own identity crisis. I think I'm first generation. I'm an immigrant. So I was born in Hong Kong, grew up in Alaska. English was not my first language. My parents were professional chefs and they cooked with other Chinese people. And so they didn't have to speak English. So when I went to public school, that's when I started learning English, like in kindergarten. And I was always very tiny. I'm still tiny. I'm only four nine. And so I was always teased growing up. And back in the early 80s, it was really hard being not white. I didn't think of it as racism. I didn't take offense to it, but I was always teased. And one of my biggest strengths was I was very athletic, gifted wise. So all the kids, like the bullies or whatever, would want me on their team because I could help them win. So with that, and then going to college in Idaho, the only people that were greatly diversified were in the athletics department. You have like Samoans, you have like all these, you know, African-American football players and stuff like that. But then when I'd go into the other side of the campus, away from the athletics, it wasn't so diversified, which was fine because I'm so used to being around, you know, like other white people. And then my cousins would always say, you're so white. What's wrong with you? It's like, why do you dress so frumpy? But growing up in Alaska, we're just very more casual, more laid back. And I don't look like a supermodel like most people in Hong Kong do. Like, I don't have that fashion trend. So I kind of had this identity crisis, like, am I Chinese? Am I white? Am I like, what am I? All my white friends say I'm so Asian. All my Asian family is like, what's wrong with you? You're so white. You're like the black sheep of the family. And when I started learning more about tea, I could start understanding more about my cultural heritage and like relate in different ways and start to make my own origin story of who I really was and to grasp onto that and to appreciate my own personal story and development of like who I am today. That was the same theme though that I was kind of hearing from my different patients was they would tell me about their upbringing. You know, I'm like, oh, so then how did you end up being in the military? Like, well, how'd you end up coming up to Alaska or something like that? I had a lot of military patients or different people from all over the place. And so would it be fair to say that between your patients, other students, when you were in college, you were getting affirmations for your enjoyment and then subsequently your knowledge of tea? So that reinforced a positive feeling along with then you being able to use it really to ground yourself and re-identify who you are. Is that a fair statement? Yes. So I believe so much for me and for my life and for a lot of people, because tea is the number one beverage consumed in the entire world next to water. I don't know if you know that or not, but it is the number one most consumed beverage in the world next to water. So there's all these different cultures around the entire world, even like indigenous people of Alaska, they have their own version of tea. They're different herbs, they're Labrador tea. So there's all these stories of like steeping something in hot water, even if like in American culture, if you think about coffee, it's beans steeped in hot water kind of or percolated. But there's a way of conversations happening and people discovering themselves and discovering other people. And so I think of tea as a medium of healing and bringing people together in a different way than say the pharmaceuticals or for me, it'd be like, rehab, right? Like physical therapy. It's just a different type of healing that can help a person's overall lifestyle. Yeah. I just have to say that the way you're introducing your interest in tea is something that everybody who's listening, and I'd like you guys to think about your product too. I mean, here you're listening to Jenny. Yes, she has tea, but so much passion 
and why it's important to her. And furthermore, what her product does, projecting people forward with their life, the value of it for their life. So it's a great demonstration, Jenny, of the thought. And of course, it all came to you naturally, but you describe it so well that I want people to think about that in correlation to whatever their products are, jewelry, candles, whatever. What is all of the emotion and the value projection forward that your product brings? All right. So let's get to the point. How did you start thinking you're practicing now with physical education and therapy and all of that? Where was that transition point where you started thinking, maybe I should do something with tea? I didn't want to be an entrepreneur and I was trained by my parents to never, ever own a small business. Oh, I bet they weren't happy when you started thinking this way. (laughs) No, they were not happy at all. My parents didn't have an education, like a formal education. My dad left home at 13 years old and had nothing left to him. Grandpa said, I'm not giving you a cent. You're going to make it on your own. Now, this is like in the late 40s or early 50s. And so 13 years old, he hops on a ship as a merchant marine chef and cooks all over the world. And so our parents did not want us to have a hard lifestyle. They said, we did not come to America for you to have a hard lifestyle. Pick something stable be a doctor, you know, something like the Asian (laughs) idea, (laughs) American dream. And so I did, I went into the medical field, right, as an athletic trainer, practicing sports medicine. So I do all like the emergency services for like a high school, I work with post op patients in the clinic over the weekend, I have my own patients that I just do physical therapy for. But then after that, I quit working there. And this was part of my journey of my identity crisis. And I decided to go teach English in Hong Kong because growing up in Alaska and because our family's social status was much lower because we were chefs versus university professors and stuff like that, my sister and I would not just get teased by everybody else at school, but all the Asian community because we weren't well off. And so it was really hard for me to get along with Asian people. And so I felt this calling like, I need to go and immerse myself in Asian people and make myself the most uncomfortable possible because that's the only way you can grow. And I don't know what that means, but I like to personally challenge myself because I feel in my future, it gives me more perspective in understanding people and myself. And like, what is the most uncomfortable thing I could possibly do? Go teach amongst a whole bunch of people in Hong Kong that have, who look like they all live in like New York City for me, you know, like look like they should be on magazines and stuff like that. So I did that. And when I came back, again, went through like some more healing. I'm like, oh, they're not all stuck up. Oh, they're not all spoiled and rich. Like some of the kids that I had as students were like, were from mainland China, having to learn Cantonese and then having to learn English. And I could totally relate to them where I felt actually they were in a much harder position than I was. They were learning two different languages. Then when I came back to Alaska, I was offered a position to be a high school teacher. And at that high school, I was the math, the science teacher, the PE teacher. And then on top of it later on, because they knew I knew so much about tea, quote unquote, they asked me to design a whole curriculum on tea. And I was like, what? okay, now I definitely have to like research more about tea. And they're like, yeah, a lot of the students are interested in what you're sharing. And a lot of the parents are really fascinated about this. And how could you make this like an interesting class? Could it be like a home ec class? Could it be kind of like science class? This is like an elective class. We want you to design a whole semester in tea education. And I was like, okay, not thinking about starting a business or anything like that. So I started doing that and I was like, well, people keep telling me ever since the physical therapy clinic, I should start a tea company. I was like, well, what if I had these kids design a tea education website? And the school that I worked at, it was a private alternative school, like a co-op kind of. So it's not quite, you know, publicly funded. It's all privately funded. Every parent owns like a share of the school and like the responsibility of it. So they also owned their own business. They owned a printing company. So these kids were like really good with graphic design and layout and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, let me use their talents. Let's design a website. And so that was actually like the first steps of starting Sipping Streams Tea Company was this class and this website. Because I'm like, maybe like... 
my life is leading into something that I don't really want to do, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Like, I'll dabble. I'm not coming. <laughs> you dare to dabble. <laughs> I'm not having a business license. I'm not making stuff. And the school would have fundraisers. So the parents were like, let's sell a bunch of tea gift baskets. And so with the school's business license, I started buying different teas and the families were putting these gift baskets for fundraisers to help pay the bills of the school and different things like that cost school supplies things like that and i was like wow there's a lot of people in this town who like tea i had no idea like i'm just buying some tea bag at some coffee shop right and so that's really where i was like dabbling more in depth in the entrepreneurship side because i didn't know anything I was so pushed away from entrepreneurships that I just put blinders on. I was like, don't ever pay attention to like being an entrepreneur. Don't even think about it. Don't even like, think about the things that are going to help you. So it was actually a real struggle when I first started my business after leaving that high school. So take us there now. So can you, as you reflect back, is there an exact time that you think of that was like, all right. I'm going to start making my own tea and start a business. Let's get to the actual business part here. So I was going to take a trip to China to visit tea farms because I'm like, well, this is really interesting. And I thought every entrepreneur has to be like super, super knowledgeable and everything, like know everything start to finish before they start a business. I thought, and this was probably going to relate to all of you listeners out there who are kind of hesitant in diving into your business. But for me as a teacher, I'm like, of course, you're supposed to hop on a plane and go visit physical tea farms, right? Like every tea shop owner does that. So I did that. And but while I was handing my airplane ticket to the ticket agent to get on the jetway, I was on the phone with one of the parents of the school. And they told me I was being laid off because there was not enough kids coming back the next year to make it sustainable to have a second teacher. So they're going to more of like the online, like they're gonna have teach math online and kind of like homeschooling on what we've been through through the pandemic. And I was like, so I literally handed my ticket, I was on the phone, I sat down in my seat and I was like, I guess I'm doing tea. <laughs> and I was like, am I seriously doing tea? Like, oh my goodness, okay. Well, obviously everything's lined out so far, right? Like you've been on this journey, like I guess. And it was the first time I was actually with peace because growing up, I always felt like I couldn't please my parents well enough. Like, I'm just like, what's wrong with you? Cause you look so frumpy. And like, kind of like my big fat Greek wedding. Like it totally relates to the main character of my big fat Greek wedding. But it was like, everything's set. You didn't even realize it. Everything was getting lined up and you didn't even realize it. And then all of a sudden, like you are already on your way, you find out your life is really changing when you get back. What were you thinking as you were making your way over to China then? I was like, well, obviously you're going to make money because you're a certified teacher and you can substitute teach. Like you don't have to commit to the classroom. You already know how to like make this stuff. You're literally going to learn how to source. Just take it all in. And then that's all I, I don't know. For some reason, there was like the spirit, this like aura that was like, just take it in. There's nothing you can do about it. The plane's going. You're already on the plane. You can't get off the plane. You're flying overseas with a place with like, I knew nobody. I wasn't going to visit family. I was literally met this translator at a convention and he said he owned a business consulting company in mainland china and that he would meet me there and he could translate for me because i'm also another thing that's now more uncomfortable i'm flying into mainland china which is mandarin and the kids that teased my sister and i when we were younger they spoke mandarin and we didn't we spoke cantonese so that was another point of difficulty that I had to challenge myself was I was now submersing myself amongst Chinese people that I cannot understand. Bring more to the point, like you're so white, you're so American, Jenny, like you're ABC. So I was like, okay, let's just do this. So what was then your goal for China? You were looking at the tea field, right? But what was the goal? Like when you were sitting there going in or even as you were planning the trip, what was the goal that you were trying to come back with? I thought I was just going to learn more about tea. Honestly, I didn't think I was going to go start a tea business. 
it's like, okay, let me learn about the tea industry. Let me learn about like how they handle tea. How do they treat the workers? Things that people would ask me questions because I'm going in with the perspective of a teacher. What are the millions of questions people are going to ask me? Let me try to soak up and learn as much as I can. You know, is there child labor there? Is there, you know, like how far away is it? Is there pollution? Like all the like polarizing questions people are going to ask. So I didn't think about, I was going to learn about the business of tea and trading tea and buying tea and sourcing it, all that stuff. And the person who is translating for me, he's not in the tea industry. He's just a networker connecting person. So he brought me over to meet different governors and like local like mayors and stuff like that. And different places had that had a tea market. I mean, because he didn't know what he was really doing other than I said, hey, I just want to learn more about tea. Who can you connect me with over there? And then I'll meet you there. So I had no expectations really other than I was just going to learn about tea. And that's probably why I was like, well, you're here. Just soak it in. How long did you stay in China? I was probably there for two weeks. So on the plane back then, what did you come back with knowing? Pretty much what you just talked about, the sourcing and tell us. Yeah, sourcing, pricing, more of it. I looked at it from a cultural standpoint, like trust. Who can you trust? Now, being immigrants, my grandmother, she fled the Japanese invasion during in mainland China to Hong Kong, and so did my father. And so there's a lot of like hesitation of trust. And so growing up, it was my grandmother, especially, she's like, don't trust anyone. This is what you got to watch out for characters. So going into China by myself as a woman, you're like on guard, at least for a Chinese person, because we blend in. If you're white, it's like, you obviously don't, you know, you're not (laughs) there. So they treat you really great. But if you're not, if you're Chinese, they treat you like how they treat each other, which unfortunately is different. There's definitely more favoritism based off of your skin color. But I knew that and I respected that. So I tried to like listen to how people would talk and understand how people did business dealings. Because a lot of things, I wasn't there or I didn't know these politicians or these leaders of these different communities in China. I'm like, what am I doing here? What am I going to get out of it? So I did a lot of listening and just understanding how people interact with business dealings or how people talk to each other or what a grower is like. And I'm like, oh, wow, these tea growers are authentically very genuine and kind and giving. But it's when you move up into the higher, like more more money is involved and there's a lot of trading and brokerage, that's where they're making all the money. The tea farmers usually are very reasonable and have like not just the lowest pricing because you're buying directly, but it's that they really don't need that much. Like their lifestyle is like what they want to keep. They're in that industry, not because they're forced into it or they're broke or anything. They have amazing, it's like living in paradise. I'm like, huh. I could be a tea farmer over there. Like people don't want to leave. Kids don't want to leave. It's just so less stressful and hectic. This sounds very similar. I have much more knowledge on the coffee side in terms of the growing and the farms and all of that. This sounds very similar to situations with coffee, you know, for the growers. And then when you go up the echelon, you know, when you get to the people who are brokering and all of that, which is the whole reason for fair trade, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is great because you've given us really good information about not even that you were consciously looking at doing this, but you came back with really important information for you to use as you started to build your business. What were the first steps where you were transitioning then and actually starting the business? What did you do? Yeah, the first thing I did was, well, I had to think about my own income because I got to support this. I don't have loans I didn't borrow from friends and family. I just put every single paycheck from substitute teaching into this business, just bootstrapped it from the very beginning. So for like first two years, it was just all bootstrapped. No physical location, just selling from my friend's bakery because it's a food item, right? So you need a commercial kitchen to package the teas and things like that. And then I just started selling at farmer's market, different holiday bazaars, just the same way that the school did it, right? We went to the local holiday bazaars and sold gift baskets or packages of tea. So I did the same thing. I was just repackaging stuff, like buying stuff at sale. Were you buying then from a broker or were you going direct to the tea farmers that you had found or? 
So some of them were from the tea farmers and some of them because of the whole spectrum of tea. It's kind of like wine. You don't walk into like a wine store and you only have red wine or like, you know, this one kind of wine. So you have to have like some diversity. I think I started off with like 10 flavors or something like that. All right. That's really helpful. Okay. And then you grow from there, of course. How did you decide on the name of your business? So there's this song that goes, all who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the stream of life. And so with that, I took sipping streams because I'm like, that's like my mission, like this healing that comes when we come together. Same thing like from my quote, right? Except the quote has to do with fire, with water, and you have tea. I don't know. Maybe it's an Asian thing, but you know, like the elements of the earth and how it brings us together. And so Sipping Streams came out of that as like, I want a place or a business where people can come together, have community, or make space for oneself, but there can be healing and connection. And love can grow from that. Love for yourself, love for your family, love for your community. And with that, T was also starting conversations in my family. They weren't happy. My parents were not happy. I kind of figured that was going to be happening. <laughs> when I lived with my parents, so when I first started my company, because I was only 25, I think. And so we'd sit down and eat dinner, but nobody wants to talk about the business or anything because they don't want to support me at all. They don't want to give me business advice. They don't want to loan me money, nothing. So I would literally just start talking about tea pretty much to myself and hoping someone would say something or be interested. So I'm like teaching about tea at the dinner table. I'm like, did you know about this? And I just talk about tea and it started opening up conversations. Like they would actually interact with my conversations about tea, which I essentially just started by myself to myself because it was awkward sitting at the table because <laughs> Jenny's not picking a stable job. Why don't you go back and buy, get another job in education? Why don't yeah. you go back to the physical therapy clinic? And I just had no interest anymore picking a stable job. Yeah, your heart had gone elsewhere for sure. Tell us a little bit about the first shows that you did. And I'm thinking of the person who's listening right now who's never done a farmer's market. They've got their product. They're not sure what they should do to get started and going there. Share a little bit about that. And then I want to get into the extensions of your business because I think that's going to help a lot of listeners too. But let's start with selling to the public for the first time. Share with us a little bit about that. I wanted to pause this discussion for a second to let you know that I recognize you may be feeling overwhelmed right now. I mean, I bring on great guests who are specialists in their fields, and we get into fabulous conversations that you know can help grow your business. So, after the show, you have the full intention of grabbing a download, making an adjustment on your website, or any number of other ideas that arise as a result of this podcast. But what happens? You get back to your other activities and the momentum you once had gets lost. What you've planned to do is forgotten. Then you feel bad because your business is going on as usual without implementing anything that you know would help grow your business. We're just too busy doing all the things, like a robot, moving from one thing to another without thinking. Because we have to. I get it. I've been there. But guess what? There is another way. Since I recognized this exact behavior in my own business, I set out to do something about it. And now, what works for me, I'm sharing with you. I formalized the process, and it's called the Inspired Daily Planner, made specifically for gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. But it's not your ordinary planner. First off, it comes with a video explaining my productivity strategy. Plus, it's not dated, so you can start using your planner the second it arrives at your doorstep. And that's not all. Included for each day is a motivational message or business building tip and plenty of space to capture and book in time for to-dos, schedule appointments, and all those other ideas that are now getting lost. Think of it as a book and a planner all in one, yet compact enough to carry with you and resource as necessary. It's the perfect solution to truly act and move your business forward. 
Go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash inspired to get your hard copy planner along with my Power of Purpose video that will set you on the path for true business growth. This makes a great gift too. So if you have a biz bestie, pick up a planner for them too. That link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash inspired. Okay, let's get back to the show. I am not an artistic person. Like if you ever meet me or look in my closet, like I am black, brown, gray. Me too. <laughs> like I am not gift baskets. And from the school, I learned how to make gift baskets from the parents, but it stresses me out like so much, like color coordinating. I'm like, uh, it'll take me half an hour to color coordinate. So obviously it was not that profitable in the beginning and more like a hobby side hustle. But when I'm selling out these bazaars, people be like really amazed because there was nothing in my market. Like there was nothing here in Fairbanks, Alaska, like it. Nobody specialized in tea. Nobody just sold tea. You couldn't buy specialty teas. You can buy loose tea in the grocery store. It just didn't exist. And people be like, oh, I know somebody who would like that. And Fairbanks, Alaska is a huge coffee, or Alaska in general is a coffee drinking state. So I'm going in like, okay, like this is more like, let's see, is this going to go anywhere? Is it not? Is there a need? And local people who are more academic minded with the university, they support local and they'd be like, oh, this is so amazing. Like they'd get all excited about it and want to buy my stuff. And I'm like, whoa, I just sold like almost everything. Like I sold every single gift basket. And you don't know until you put it out there because you don't realize what is actually a lot until you start doing it. Right. So say I have like a six foot table and I have all these different gift baskets. I would get a lot of feedback. It was great for getting feedback. And you have to put yourself again in that uncomfortable position, like I keep doing to myself in my life to grow, to know. You just don't know what you don't know until you put it out there. And I actually grew up selling at the farmer's market when I was a little kid because my mom actually specialized in Chinese vegetables. She was the only one who sold like bok choy and choy stuff, like especially dark leafy green vegetables at the farmer's market. So she'd sell them by like the truckload. And we just lived in a regular suburban neighborhood with a tiny garden. And she did the same thing too, where people told her, no one's going to buy lettuce. Okay, this is way back in the early 80s. Like who's going to sell lettuce? Like lettuce doesn't grow in Alaska. And so she started selling lettuce by the carload. So I just kind of thought about like, Let's just try it. Mom used to try random things and she was successful. Let's see what kind of feedback. And for me, like the rejection of no, I'm not interested doesn't bother me because remember, I was the black sheep of the family. And so I was all made fun of, even by my cousins and everyone. So I just kind of like said hi to people, gave out samples. And I didn't actually learn about giving out samples until later when my mom was like, Remember when we used to give out samples of our steam buns at the farmer's market? Like, why don't you do that? People might like talk to you more. And I was like, oh, because at first I just had products sitting on my table. And so every time I got feedback, I would learn more. But one of the biggest things that I learned was my stuff was underpriced. So I would actually get a lot of people not wanting to buy my stuff, even though I knew it was like specialty high-end teas, they wouldn't want to buy it. Because they thought it was inferior because of the price? Because of the price. Yeah. Uh. And so when I quadrupled my pricing, remember, it's not price for wholesale. Like, I'm new. Like, I don't know anything about pricing structures. I'm like, I bought it for this. I just sell it for this. I made some money, I think. Right? Because I don't know. I'm just starting off. And so when I quadrupled my prices, it sold so fast. Like, I would sell out all the time. Wow. What a great learning that was. How did you come upon the decision to quadruple? Did you start learning about how to price product and you knew how much wholesale was? Like you built up your pricing or did you just say, I'm just going to quadruple it? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm like a penny pincher. So I did not want to increase my prices. I was just thinking how many people are going to be mad at me. And I got feedback from just customers looking at these gift baskets. So like, you're telling me it's really specialty, but do you look at the pricing? Like this doesn't look right. I didn't understand what they were talking about. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, but I mean, it's nice tea. The point that it was good tea and nice tea, and even though they tasted it, now we're getting into sampling it, it was the customers who were literally communicating and giving me feedback that 
this doesn't look right. It makes it look like the stuff isn't right. It's a good point because all of the things that need to be in line, right? You're, the quality of your product, then the pricing to what you're speaking of gives an impression. You could have both of those in line, but if the way you're packaging or your graphics of your product look inferior, like printed off a copier or something, that would be in dissonance with the pricing and what you're saying is quality, right? So all of those things have to be in line and match what you're saying your product is. So yours was showing that, you know, the pricing didn't match what you're saying in terms of the quality of the tea. And clearly they were seeing it from sampling. I'm assuming that your branding in terms of your logo and all of that was good because you had access to the graphic artists from before. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. And I had a lot of friends who were graphic designers who had worked for the university. One of my really good friends, she designed my logo. And then, so that was the next stage. Okay. Like not, does your stuff taste way better? Like, I think your pricing is wrong, but that my stuff, because in Fairbanks, where I'm from, this specific town, not necessarily Anchorage, but Fairbanks is all about community and supporting local. It always has been since I grew up here. And so people be like, but this is packaged somewhere else. They wouldn't believe that I packaged it, that I designed the label, that I, you know, this is my own photography, that I hand labeled the canisters, all this stuff over and over again. This happened for like over 10 years. Like it kept going on where people would not believe that I was actually a local company because it looks so professional. And I'm selling like at the farmer's market or I'm selling at like, you know, some school's holiday bazaar or you know what I mean? That I was selling in these such small local places, but I knew that's where the money was because our community supports local. Right. They're the ones who are purposely going there. So trying to convince them of that and growing my brand and who I was really went hand in hand in starting to build my authority in the local community. And that goes into, then I started teaching classes at about the same time because I already designed a whole curriculum, teaching tea classes at the university, teaching tea classes home to home. So I started doing that almost like a pampered chef or Mary Kay direct, what do you call it? I don't really know what it's called, but you know, those business models where they have a bunch of people. So you were doing that just on your own? At the same time. At the same time. Yeah, like I was selling at holiday shows. I was pitching myself out there. Anyone who wanted a tea party. I didn't know if anyone did tea parties. And apparently nobody does tea parties back then when I first started. And I would say, hey, do you want me to host a tea party? And it started off with the school I was at. They would network out and say, hey, Jenny's looking to host tea parties like in people's homes. Do you know somebody who wants to have a mini tea class in their house or a tea party and she can make all the food and everything like that? So I was starting to do like a combo of whatever gaps were in the market that we just didn't have because I didn't want money for a brick and mortar. That was like not in the question at all. Like that's totally out of the question. So how can I get my stuff out there and then build that reciprocity that when someone sees me at a holiday bazaar, they'll be like, oh yeah, I know that lady. Oh, I had an amazing experience with her and she does all these tea parties. I had 30 people over and she catered the whole thing and then she taught us a mini lesson on top of it. And now you're starting to see how I ended up where I am now. I literally do it all now, but with my brick and mortar and with digital online you know, stream. So the word got out about the parties and there was credibility because people had been to your parties, tasted and sampled. And the thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about all of this, the experience that everyone was having in the parties is exactly what you talk about, bringing people together and sampling tea. So it all, I'm going to just call it a brand, but it was your mission. That's what you felt in your heart and your vision that your product could do. So the parties were actually by way of example, doing exactly what you intended for your product to do, which is amazing. So you did all that. Quick question here, and I only want to spend a second on this, but how did that work for you financially with the parties? Because if you're saying you're bringing the tea and you're bringing the food, and then people were able to buy from that party, I'm thinking? Yes. And were you able then to cover the costs of the parties for the most part? Yes, actually, it was a really good model, but it was exhausting time-wise. Mm -hmm. And carrying all the china and the cups and everything. So I did do, I think, at the time, a pretty good, like, I made money. I did make money. 
and it could cover my cost of, you know, now my cash flow for future inventory and more food and stuff like that. But the reason why I stopped doing it was it was just me by myself doing mm-hmm. all of this, hauling all this stuff, preparing all of it. And I was like, I just need help. But it was a not going through that phase would have not gotten the credibility, the name of your business and you out into the community. So, you know, there's such a thing of doing something that you could never scale or do forever, but doing it for a short time for a purpose, which it sounds like that's how that fit in. So you're mentioning brick and mortar. Let's jump over to that now. So where did that come in? So then I opened a temporary seasonal shop in a touristy park. It's only open in the summertime. I opened it only for one summer. I made 90 bucks in profit. I had three employees, so I was able to pay myself and my other employees who were my high school kids. Oh, good. That's good. Yeah. Hey, do they want a job, you know, like their first job? And everyone at that park, like this tourist-themed park, historical park, said no one ever makes money their first year. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what did I just sign up for? Because I signed a contract and everything to lease this building. And so at the end, net profit, 90 bucks isn't bad. But through that summer, I realized how many tourists would not come into my shop. We served food, we served tea, and we had like a little retail side. Maybe it's only like the size of like barely like a 10 by 10 pop-up tent. Like it was a very small cabin. And I could not pull the tourist bunches. Like you'd see these groups of obvious tourists walk by to get them to come into my store. They were not interested in tea, but the people who were interested were local people. And they kept asking, where are you going to be after this park closes? Cause there's no heat in here. Like the park closes in the winter and like, where's your store going to be? How are we going to find you? And I knew I didn't want to keep doing the home to home door to door thing. So I started planning for a brick and mortar store. And that's when I started needing financing from friends and family. And that's what I started with. Like all my paychecks, I'm still substitute teaching. And then just my network of asking people, my first employees, almost all of them were new. Maybe two of them were actually moms who wanted to help me as a favor. Like they just knew who I was. They were family friends. And they're like, okay, as long as I can bring my baby by and like in this one room so the baby can sit there and I'll do all your baking or things like that. But it was definitely like an amazing startup experience because I knew nothing about managing people. <laughs> like, I knew how to be a teacher. I knew nothing about management or leadership in the entrepreneur space. I knew about leadership as a teacher, but it didn't quite cross over because I wanted to treat everyone as if I was their teacher. And like, well, you know, like just like in math, there's many ways to bake the cake to end up looking the same. This is how I do it. But, you know, if you don't do it exact same way, as long as it has the same answer and that cake turns out right, it doesn't work that way. People get frustrated, apparently. So my employees were very, very kind and patient with me. And they would say, could you just please tell me exactly how you want it done? I gave them too much freedom. I was educating them. They're like, this is just a big waste of my time to ruin three cakes at once. And I feel terrible. I'm like, okay, do it this way. All right. So for clarification, you didn't open up a tea store. You opened up a tea house where there was food and tea, right? Yeah. Yes. So it was the same model as my little uh, temporary cabin. It had some food in it and it had merchandise. And so then my first permanent spot was the same way because I felt like if there's not enough people buying tea, like if the population really isn't ready for tea yet, then I'm not going to make enough money just selling stuff. Food will always bring people in. And remember, I grew up in the restaurant industry. That's what my parents had. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, people always like food. And that made my parents even more mad. They're like, you're starting a restaurant. Like, I'm not starting a restaurant. It's a tea house. <laughs> That's why we're in it. It's not a restaurant, really. It's a tea house. But yeah, it was a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. And you still have your tea house today, right? Yep. And my mom's involved and my dad's involved with helping out now. Now they're totally bought into it, right? Yeah. If I were to have them on the podcast, what would they say about this whole journey of yours? With all the barriers they tried to put up 
for you. And now they see what you're doing today, much less not only see it, they're involved in it. What would they say? What do you think? I don't know. I'm kind of proud of her. Like, this is my mom. I can totally hear my mom in my head. I don't know. I'm kind of proud of her. But, you know, she always does whatever she wants to do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) And her actions are showing that she's proud because she's involved, which is really fun. Like, you used to be involved in what she was doing, and now she's involved with what you're doing. So, to me, that just feels so good. Continuing on and Jenny, this is such a great inspiration and a great example. And we talked about this before we started recording, that there are other avenues you can take with your product versus just direct selling your product only. You transitioned into a couple of other things, one being your book. Where along the line did that happen? So for years, even before the tea company started, people were very fascinated about my immigrant story and my upbringing. And so for many years, even before I started the tea company, people would say, you should write a story about your life. It's very fascinating. And of course, the book doesn't have all the details of my childhood and things that I've been through and stuff like that. But I was willing to do it at least for the tea company because it felt like it could relate for people. But the idea of even writing a book is I have a coach. Like, so later on, much, much later, I wish I knew in the very beginning you could hire a coach, like that a coach would totally change your business. But I didn't get a business coach. I didn't even know what that was until maybe about seven years ago. So my business was already way past the five-year mark. And anyways, my business coach has written several books and she's like, you can write a book. It's easy. And so I wrote an outline in five days and being a teacher, you know, like, okay, outline structure, you know, like theme and this and that. And boom, in one summer, I wrote a book. I just spent an hour a day and I just couldn't believe it other than I just did what someone told me to do and how to do it. And then it's self-published. So, yeah. We won't get into all of how you self-publish a book and all of that, but what did that book do for your business? Well, I am actually very shocked of how many people have read the book. Like, they'll meet me later on. So I don't just do bazaars here locally in Fairbanks. I literally do it all over the state. And if you know how big the state of Alaska is, like, I fly to Juneau. So you're telling me earlier about coming up on a cruise. Like, I'm over by there. I fly over there and I do shows. I fly down to Kodiak Island, you know, where all the crazy famous grizzly bears are, like, there and I do a show. I have relatives there too, by the way. <laughs> oh, you know, oh my gosh, it's a beautiful place. And I go to Anchorage like all the time. So sometimes people have never bought from me directly. They don't even know. And then they'll see my book and they're like, wait, did you write this book? And I'm like, yeah, it's my book because I'm selling only my stuff. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's a great book. I learned so much from it. So the book, I'm shocked of how many people have read this book and then just giving me feedback that it was, it's a really simple book because I wrote it so my mom could read it because English is a second language. I didn't want to be too medical, techie, you know, with the terminology and the vocabulary. I wanted to be something fascinating, educational, and you could walk away with something, whether it was health and wellness or personal developments, like my mission, essentially, like growing and healing from the inside out, like through the medium of tea even if it wasn't like this tea is good for this X, Y, Z. So with that, I also used it to draw people back to my brand. So we have a tea education program. And that's why it's like, it's not that I just wrote a book, but I wrote a book to also cause interest for wherever it is out there in the universe to come back to find out more, to learn more, to like dip your heart in the stream of life, come back into that. And for people to interact with other people and hopefully start conversations like I did at the dinner table when I was learning about tea. Mm -hmm. And so what about the education program? So there's kind of a channel, a funnel of how people meet you, or it can go back and forth. People will be at a show, see your book that reinforces your credibility, or maybe see the book, then buy, you know, however that goes. What about the educational programs, which is fascinating because that goes back to what you were doing in the beginning. Yes. What types of topics are you teaching in those programs? 
I actually have a year-long T certification program that I designed. So I literally have T students from around the world who can become a certified T specialist. So in that, that's like the all-encompassing T education program. But there's also just individual virtual classes you can buy too. So there's the Matcha Madness course that's all about the world of matcha. So that's like a month-long virtual course, but then you keep it after you own it. There's one about kombucha. And there's one just about like, I call it the essence of tea because my book's called that, the podcast. And it's like the tea basics course that everyone thinks is a basic course because I just describe it as a basic course. But once you dive into it, you're like, whoa, this is a pretty intense class on tea. It's essentially like a semester long class I crammed into like four weeks that you could do. So it's good for people who just have a casual hobby type interest in tea. And then also, if you take your year-long class to be a certified specialist, what does that allow someone to do from there? So from there, they can either take that if they already have a business, apply it to their business and their team. So their team gets all access to that too. I don't limit like how many people can be in it, but they can take that knowledge to really amplify and just do better in like educating their customers if they have a tea company. We've had businesses who it's not a tea company, but they do sell and tea. Like they sell stuff that are brick and mortar, but they also sell tea and they want to monetize the tea side of it better because people ask them a million questions, just like me when I knew nothing about tea. I'm like, okay, what are all these questions people are going to ask me? But then there's people who are RNs in a hospital and they just like tea. And they use tea and it's more for personal use, but now they've given that knowledge and information to their coworkers, you know, to help them stay up on the shift or whatever, or people who just love tea. So it doesn't have to be someone who is going to monetize with it. But the majority of my tea students in that certification program are just people who love tea because it's so fascinating. There's food, there's culinary tea science in there. There's about the horticulture of tea, how to grow the tea plants, like hence my tea farm. The tea farm came from that unit of the certification program. I was not wanting to start a tea farm. <laughs> like, so, like, many things in my Just life. like you weren't thinking you were going to do any of this, Jenny. <laughs> yeah. So, and then like how to taste tea like a professional, other applications like painting with tea, making inks with tea, the Chinese tea ceremony. So there's like a lot of things in that certification program that are just fascinating in general. It's just a really deep dive class. Ooh, that sounds incredibly interesting. I could talk to you for like a whole nother hour, but I don't think that that would be fair for anybody or wise, but we cannot close without talking about another way you got eyes onto your business that I've never heard anybody talk about before. And that's radio. So will you share with us what happened with that and what that did for your business? Yeah. So before podcasts, so I wasn't thinking about doing a podcast. So these people are coming to my store. They're like, oh, you got to check out this tea shop. It's the only one in Fairbanks. But still, like, so people would want to advertise, right? Like the different radio sales reps would come in and they're like, do you want to have a commercial? The newspaper comes in. Do you want to have an ad in the paper? I'm like, I don't know if any of this stuff works. One sales rep was very creative and she said, I love tea so much. And you know, I come in here every week, Jenny. And she did. She was a regular customer. She's like, I'm going to talk to my boss about doing a 30 second segment once a week, but it'd be like a live commercial and let's call it tea on Tuesday. And it was on the classic rock station. So the majority of my listeners are kids that are going to school with their parents, like waiting for the school bus, construction workers, people like who like classic rock, like on a daily basis. And it was the morning show. So there's two DJs and like, don't worry, don't feel nervous. They'll prompt you. And you just come in for 30 seconds once a week. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, well, bring some tea in, talk about the tea, share the food with the DJs, and there'll be like a live interaction. It'll be great advertising because they will be literally partaking in what you do and maybe share like one small snippet. Well, the very first episode or session that we had, I'd never been on radio before, never done a podcast or anything like that. I was very, very nervous. So as a teacher, you over-prepare for the worse <laughs> like, <laughs> information. And so 
I think our first day or first, and I say day is because I didn't stay on for 30 seconds. I stayed on for like half an hour. Like they're like, oh, we got to cut to commercial and then cut to commercial and say, okay, Jenny, continue with this. And so this just kept going on where then the DJs were telling like their boss, like, can Jenny come in when the other guy's out of town? like to fill in because she's great for this conversation of back and forth in the studio for the morning show. So I did this for six years and every Tuesday, like, I mean, I just go in the radio station, but I would be there so long in the morning show, like maybe the whole morning show time, like for three hours sometimes where they just didn't want me to leave and they wanted me to hang out. And so people thought I literally worked at the radio station. They thought I was one of the morning hosts. And still to this day, people go, oh, I listen to you all the time on the classic rock station when it was the classic rock station. So it like integrated me so much into the community that I'd have like construction workers, truck drivers come into my pretty quaint, you know, tea house. And my friends were like, that guy doesn't look like a tea drinker. I'm like, well, apparently he is because show. <laughs> oh my gosh. So they didn't ever pay you, but this was promotion and like free advertising for your business. Well, I paid them. So like I paid for like essentially like a commercial spot, but it was only guaranteed for 30 seconds, like a tiny snippet. And it was really hard for them to just keep me on for that long because it was interesting to them. So they didn't actually pay me. I paid them, but I never paid an hour's worth of advertising ever. They just wanted me to be part of like bringing, you know, more listeners onto their radio station, essentially. It worked out for both of you wonderfully. And like I said before, such an interesting and creative approach, which I want it to spark other people's thoughts of other things they could do. Maybe it's not a, a radio show, but something else, of course. So, all right. Well, there were would be so many other things I'd like to dive into, but I just think for time purposes, we shouldn't go further with that today anyway. But I do have one question for you. Do you sell wholesale? Yes, I do sell wholesale. Okay. So if we have anybody who has a bakery, a gift shop, any of that, if they were interested, they could look into potentially purchasing wholesale tea from you. Yes. Okay, perfect. Where can everybody learn more about you? And you sell direct to consumer as well, I'm thinking. Yes. Okay, so where do we go for all this goodness about Sipping Streams? So everything is found from our website, sippingstreams.com, including our free upcoming tea classes. So we have links on there because we do some free tea classes like twice a year. So they can find out about that. They can find out about our tea certification program. They can buy directly off the website. They can find our menu. Like, so if you come and visit Fairbanks, Alaska, I would love to come see you or you can come see me and you can even visit our tea farm here in Alaska. And if you scroll all the way to the bottom of the page on the homepage, there is information about wholesale at the bottom of the page. Perfect. Wonderful, Jenny. This has been so interesting, so amazing. No surprise to me why the radio folks wanted to keep you on longer and longer, because I do too. I don't want to end this conversation, but I think we're going to have to. Thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. What a story. Now you see why I said in the beginning, Jenny's journey did not follow a traditional business development route. All the elements were there, but she did it her way. And while you probably won't travel to China or get a spot on the radio long term, I guarantee that there are and will be opportunities right in front of you to take advantage of. And I'll ask you, are you willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation that leads to big rewards? Playing it too safe will limit your potential. If there's one thing I want you to take away from Jenny's story, it's that. Before you move on to your next activity today, make sure to get your name on the list for at least one Gift Biz Bash. You can see dates for the upcoming sessions and get signed up over at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash bash. And if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to show support, A rating and review is always fabulous because it helps get the show seen by more makers. It's a great way to pay it forward. 
And there's another way where you can get something tangible in return for your support, too. Visit my merch shop for a wide variety of inspirational items, like mugs, journals, water bottles, and more featuring logos, images, and quotes to inspire you throughout your day. Makes a great gift, too. And we've just added some new products for the season to the shop. Turnaround is quick, and the quality is top-notch. Nothing but the best for you. (laughs) Take a look at all the options at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash shop. All proceeds from these purchases helps go to offset the cost of producing the show. And now, be safe and well, and I'll see you again next time on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making my favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze. Today, 